scripture reading today is from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I'll be reading from the NIV version. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. God and Father, as we come now to your word, I pray that you would speak to us through it. Pray that you might communicate your truth to us and open our eyes to behold it, even though we are blinded often by our sin. Pray that you would speak through me, though I am a sinful instrument, by your grace. Pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I remember hearing a story a preacher told years ago about a young man who had gone to the missions field in China for a few years, and he was ministering there. And he was paid a typical missionary's salary back then, which was not a very good one. But because of his skill with the language and all of his connections in China, this American company got interested in trying to hire him to be a liaison in the country. So they went to him and they offered him, um, he was making like $2,000 a year and they offered him $10,000 a year. And he said, no, I'm not interested. And okay. They said, well, then how about if it's $15,000 a year to do it, and then $20,000 a year? They kept raising the offer, and he was, just seemed disinterested. And finally, they asked him, so what's the issue? <laughs> Are we not, you know, how much do we need to pay you? Are we not paying you enough? And his response was, no, the salary's big enough. The problem is the job is too small. The job is too small. I used to work in the business world for a few years, um, and I was in middle management, and one of the things in the business world that everyone was obsessed with was a mission statement. And, um, and here's the thing. Part of me always rolled my eyes at things like a mission statement because I'm like, ah, come on. But I also very much understood why they were doing it. Because a job, if you just think about it in isolation, is made up often of these very um, isolated-seeming, not very meaningful tasks that you have to do, right? And you can get kind of lost in the day-to-day drudgery of it, and that loses, causes you to lose your motivation. And the, the whole point of a mission statement was to take this specific job that someone was doing and link it to this meaningful big work that the company was trying to do, that the organization was trying to do, to give people a sense of meaning and purpose, to help them recognize that while their job might feel small, that it was, in fact, big and meaningful. You needed that sense of mission, or the job would feel too small. And I think sometimes we as Christians uh, fall into the same trap. We understand that we're supposed to do stuff in our faith, these sort of specific things that we're supposed to do day to day, that there's these commands that we're supposed to follow, that there is these habits that we should cultivate in our lives. But those can often seem disconnected, and they can almost turn into this kind of day-to-day drudgery of the Christian life unless they likewise are linked up to that same sense of mission and purpose that gives us a sense of mission that keeps our job as Christians from being too small. 
So what I want to do this morning is this. First, I want to take a sweeping look across the whole Bible. We're going to start in Genesis 12, but this is not a sermon that's going to stay there. And I want to do that to prove a simple point, which is that God is a God with a mission that we are connected to. And then I want to talk practically about how that meets us and challenges us. And I will just say up front that part of why I want to do that, these last few sermons together I'm meaning as kind of some final encouragements to you guys is because I want to really leave you as you look towards the next season of life here at Tish with that sense of mission. But that said, first of all, I want to just prove to you that the Bible from beginning to end is all about God's mission. And I think I need to prove that to you because it is easy for us to, I think a lot of Christians have this idea that for most of the Bible, like all of the Old Testament, God doesn't actually really care about people that much, except for this one little nation of people that he's looking after. And then finally Jesus comes and he kind of changes his mind, and then he starts to care about this broader mission. And so I just want to show you that that isn't true. So if you start in Genesis, um, in Genesis chapter 11, we have the story of the Tower of Babel, which people come together and they're rebelling against God's command to fill the earth and instead they come together and try to build this tower to reach the heavens and become like gods and so God scatters them and the nations are scattered across the earth and they don't understand each other's language anymore and we're left with the nations and then what God does in response to that is he comes to this guy named Abram in Genesis 12 and if you pick up in Genesis 12 1 now the Lord said to Abram who becomes Abraham go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So he says, go out from your father's house, and I'm going to bring you to this new land. And then he goes on and says this in verses 2 and 3. He says, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'm calling you so that all the families of the earth will be blessed. In Abram's call and the formation of God's people of Israel, that's actually a response to what happened in Genesis 11. We suddenly have the nations scattered across the earth and they can't understand each other. And what God does is he comes and he does call this specific person to become this nation so that all of these other nations can be blessed and experience God's blessing. And that actually, we're going to see this again and again, but that is the, the central theme, the core pattern of mission in the Bible always works like that. The core pattern of God's mission is that God calls people out of the nations so that they might call the nations to him. God blesses people so that they might bless others and they might come to know him. We experience salvation in Jesus so that we might call other people to experience salvation. So God's work of blessing of salvation in Scripture is always all about his mission. It's always meant to lead to mission. In a sense, that's the point of God saving us. It's always meant to flow out towards others. And we see that in Abraham. That's God's mission, right? I'm going to bless you so that you'll be a blessing. And I, I'll just note, in Scripture, that text gets quoted a lot, especially in the New Testament, and that's a big deal. In fact, in Galatians 3, Paul actually quotes that that initial call of Abraham and the being a blessing to the nations, and he refers to that as the gospel. That's the gospel proclaimed beforehand to Abraham. So like the good news, in a sense, is that God is coming to do that, and it repeats over and over. So that's Abraham. Let's skip ahead to the Exodus, right? So if you were here a couple years ago, we preached through the book of Exodus, which is the story of God 
leading Israel out of captivity in Egypt. Why does God do that? Well, he says why a bunch of times. Here's just one example in Exodus 7. He says, he's saving them so that the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. So God isn't just rescuing them from slavery because he cares about them. That's true too. But God says, I'm actually rescuing you so that the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord and come to know me and praise me. And in fact, that happens in the book of Exodus. If you follow through the narrative, especially the plagues, you see members of Pharaoh's court and citizens of Egypt actually start to follow and fear the Lord, so much so that in Exodus 12, when Israel comes out, it also says, a mixed multitude also went up with them. So a multitude, an innumerable mass of people that weren't Israelites came out and became a part of God's people and left Egypt with Israel. Actually, just a a note on that theologically, because some people still seem to have the wrong idea. In the Old Testament, Israel is never an ethnic identity. It's a national identity, right? It has a king, and it's a kind of, it's constituted as a nation. But over and over in the Old Testament, Gentiles come into Israel and become a part of it. I mean, if you read, like, the book of Ruth, right? She's a Moabitess. She's not, you know, she's not an Israelite. Or Rahab, who we meet later in the story of the Exodus as they come into the Promised Land. She's brought into Israel. And those are both direct ancestors of King David right, who, who are not ethnically Israelites. But that said, so God calls them, God brings Israel out. Again, Exodus 19, God comes and gives the law to Israel, the Ten Commandments and then his law, and he says this. He says, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A priest in scripture is a go-between, someone who both comes before God as a go-between for the people and who comes before the people as a kind of go-between for God. And God's saying, your job as a nation is to be a kingdom of priests for the world, (laughs) that that you're supposed to be this go-between between me and the world. You're supposed to be a set-apart, a holy nation doing that. And in case you feel like that's a stretch, he makes it more explicit in Deuteronomy 4. At the end of the 40 years wandering, when Moses gives um, the Ten Commandments again, first he says this. He says, keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as our Lord, our God is to us, whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today. So God says, I'm giving you this law so that the nations will see my goodness, so that the nations will come to know me and I'll be revealed to them. That's the purpose of Israel being called to obey God. It keeps going. Israel gets a king, King David, right? And, I mean, I'm really skipping stuff, I know. (laughs) But they end up getting a king. And the king is another continuation of that missionary purpose. Let me, the most famous story about David is what? What's the story everyone tells about David? It's David and Goliath, right? So David comes out against Goliath, and here's what he says. He says, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. So even in God's, you know, violently defeating the Philistines and killing Goliath, his purpose is that the nations would know him. They would come to know Israel's God. And David gets that. David repeatedly in the Psalms that he writes sounds that theme. Just one example in Psalm 62. 
David says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, which is echoing the priest Aaron's benediction that we use often at church. He says, may God do that, that your way may be known on earth and saving power among all nations. And let me just give you another example that is not going to be up on the screen because literally this morning in my Bible time, I was reading in 1 Kings 8 where Solomon prays to dedicate the temple and he prays for foreigners. He says, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. And he prays that God would save them in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel. And then he goes on a little later in that chapter. And when he gives his final blessing to Israel, he ends it by saying, so that all the peoples of the earth may know the Lord is God. There is no other. Keeps going in the prophets, right? We have the prophets often criticizing Israel for failing to be this light to the nations, for bringing shame on the name of God. And then they start to promise this hope of a Messiah that's going to come, this king in the line of David that we know is ultimately Jesus. And the point of a Messiah is God's mission. In Isaiah 49, Isaiah says, speaking of this Messiah, the servant, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Over and over, the prophets anticipate it. Finally, you get to Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, right? Last prophet to speak before Jesus. And he says, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. From Genesis to Malachi, the whole Old Testament, over and over and over, if you have your eyes open to it, You see God sounding that theme, that his goal in calling and blessing and saving his people is that they might be a means through which he calls and blesses and saves other people. It's never supposed to end with them. And so then, no surprise, when we get to the New Testament, that Jesus sends out his disciples and says, you will be, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So their purpose is to be God's witnesses, not just to Israel, but to the ends of the earth. And then, of course, as the New Testament continues, the church is being built. In our day, the church is being built. And finally, at the end of the story, when we preached through Revelation, we saw this from Revelation 7. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So the story ends with that mission being fulfilled, and people from every tribe and tongue and nation gathering in this multitude that cannot be numbered, and singing praises to God in the So that's what God is doing from Genesis to Revelation. That's a central theme of his story. He's on this mission to gather all kinds of people to himself. And the point, in a real sense, of his salvation and his blessing is to forward that mission. And on one level, I just want to pause and be like, isn't that great? (laughs) Like, hallelujah. That's a beautiful thing to see as it weaves through scripture. Then the question is, how do we fit into that story of God's mission? How do we fit with all of that? And here's the thing, after preaching the first half of the sermon that's that, 
there is this thing that I know a lot of us are thinking about now and that our minds immediately think to. And it's not a wrong thing, but it's not what I want you to think about today. And that is sort of the idea of international missions, right? Of people whose job is what we call missionary and who move somewhere else to some other place or some other country to go um, tell people about Jesus or build up the kingdom there. And here's the thing. That is great. And if that is a calling that God would bring on your life, you should embrace that calling. And it's such a delight. You know, we know several young people here from Kish that have gone out, you know, onto different missions kinds of callings, and that's a great thing. But that's not what I want us to focus on today. And I think the fact that we immediately run there is a problem for two reasons. First, theologically, the problem with reading the story and immediately running there is that we are not Israel. And it we tend, when we do that, to run to the assumption that the nations mean those other people out there, right? But of course, in the eyes of the New Testament and the Old Testament, when it talks about the nations, we're like, I mean, they didn't even know that this continent existed, right? <laughs> you know, like, we're, we're, we're the extreme ends of the earth in terms of being the nations. And in fact, it's a testament to the 2,000 years of faithfulness of Jesus' church that we're sitting here on the other side of the planet from where all of this was written and we are worshiping God. And then practically the reason it's a problem is because if we jump right to international missions, we lose the way that the story actually meets and applies to us and our lives all of the time. When we hear about God's mission, if our instinct is to think that we must go somewhere else, that actually causes us to miss the point. That Because what that means then is that like, as long as I'm here, I'm not really on God's mission. I have to go off somewhere to do it. And look, again, God does absolutely call people to go other places sometimes on his mission, right? You know, last, last Sunday we had the Schaefer's here helping lead worship, and, you know, they, <clears throat> you know they've, they've lived for years in, you know, in Israel, right, on God's mission. I mean, sometimes God calls you to move from Nebraska to Rockford, Illinois, because you're trying to follow the thing that he's calling you to do. He does sometimes do that, but in Scripture, God's mission is mainly accomplished not by sending us somewhere else, but by working through us wherever we are. God's mission is mainly accomplished by working through us wherever we are. That God wants your co-workers to experience his blessing and come to know him. And God wants your neighbors to experience his blessing and come to know him. And God wants your friends and your family to experience his blessing and come to know him. And that you are the means through which he's accomplishing his mission to those people. Now again, that does not mean that God might not someday call some of you to go some other place in following him. I don't want to preclude that. But remember, the core pattern of mission is that we are blessed so that we then bless other people. That we experience salvation so that we call other people to experience salvation. That we are called out by God so that we might call out the people around us. That's always the pattern of mission in scripture. And that is a pattern that we can do right here. Right? In Stillman Valley or Byron or Davis Junction or wherever God has placed you, that you can just as much experience that pattern of mission here as you can anywhere else. So that is God's mission, and we are called to join that mission. But then there's one more question I want to ask out of that practically, which is what does that actually mean? What does that actually look like to say that right here we are called to be on that mission of God? And I think we wrestle with that because there's all of these tensions that we feel, these tensions between different priorities. So like, 
one of the questions that I feel like in different ways people ask me a lot, just personally, is, is this thing about like our words or is this about our deeds, right? Is this about kind of telling people verbally about Jesus or is this sort of about doing um, good works? And of course, on, on some level, the answer to all of these sentences is going to be you need to do both, right? I mean, because if you just use your words and tell people about Jesus, if you're not acting in ways that reflect Jesus, that's not only is it not going to work, that's actually destructive, right? Hypocrisy is the great enemy of the gospel. And so, I mean, that's, you know, obviously you need to speak truth, but if you just do good deeds, right, and you don't also speak the gospel of Jesus, then you end up in that place where people, they might be impressed by you, but they're not going to come to know God. And in fact, that can also get destructive because if people— if, if your interactions with people leave them worshiping you, right, thinking you are just great, man, you're just a great exceptional person, like, that's actually running counter to what the gospel is calling people to see, too. So, but we feel that tension, even though, of course, on some level, you need both of that between words and deeds. We feel a tension sometimes in the church between what we might think of as evangelism, right, which is sort of the words part of the church's ministry of declaring the gospel of Jesus, and then, you know, sort of charity, and acts of service and justice and things like that, um, and how we're supposed to kind of bring those things together. I think even there's a tension behind some of this, that's the tension we feel between sort of Christianity as a relationship with God and as a religion with religious things that we do, right? Where on the one hand, if you just do religious stuff without knowing God, that's dead and lifeless. But on the other hand, if you try to come to know God deeply and you don't pray and read scripture and worship with God's people, you're never going to grow very deep with him. There's all these tensions— and we have all these questions then, trying to figure out how does all this fit together, and how do we think about being on God's mission with all these tensions that we feel. And instead of trying to sort those out, what I want to do is just, from Genesis 12, suggest a simpler way to think about what it means to be on mission that I think helps hold a lot of those tensions together. If I could sum up the call to missions biblically in one sentence, it would be that we are called to be a blessed blessing in the name of God. We are called to be a blessed blessing in the name of God. That's Abraham's call, right? Is that he is to be blessed so that he might be a blessing to the nations. And out of that, that he is then to, um, to, to make God known to the nations. But let's break that down, because I know that's a cute single sentence thing. So first, we're called to be blessed, which is an interesting place to start. And I know when you hear that, that some of you are like, that's wrong. And some of you are like, yes, but maybe not in the best way. So just to clarify, when we talk about being blessed, right? Man, it's so in our world caught up in what I, I just have to— I always think of it as like the, the like hashtag blessed kind of way of thinking about it, right? That, I mean, it used to be magazines or TV ads. Now it's on Instagram, right? Where it's these pictures of, you know, these people— you know, just like their, their feet and their toenails always like are perfectly painted and they're like on the beach looking out at the ocean or, you know, it's like their two kids are playing on the living room floor with like the only toy in sight and everything else is this immaculate like, you know, boho interior design, you know, white and beautiful thing or, you know, I mean, or, I mean, I, even, even for guys, right, it's the like, you know, you're sitting, you're leaning against your like really expensive pickup truck by your cabin, you know, drinking your beer, like those are all the things that we naturally think of as a blessing in our culture. And the problem is that those things are not what Scripture means when it talks about being blessed necessarily. Those things are not necessarily what Scripture means by blessing. 
those things are wealth, right? <laughs> just, just speaking bluntly, those things are all pictures of affluence in our world. And the thing about wealth in Scripture is that wealth can be a blessing and wealth can be a trap. It, it can function as either of those things. It can be a good thing that comes from God or it can be an evil thing that pulls us away from God. And the reason for that is that in Scripture, blessing always is ultimately about having God. Blessing means knowing and savoring life in relationship with God. So the psalmist declares, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. That's what it means to be blessed ultimately. And then stuff in this world can be a blessing, but but it can also not be. The determining factor is whether you're experiencing and giving thanks for those things within that relationship with God or whether they're leading you away from a relationship with God. But I say all of that to say that we must first seek to experience true blessing, by which I mean we must actually know and be in relationship with God. That's the first step of that mission. We must actually have been people that are blessed, that are part of God's people, that know him and are in a relationship with him. And then out of that, we're called to be a blessed blessing, to experience God's presence and protection and love and relationship, and then out of that, to bless other people and to experience that and then pour it out into the world. And the reason I like that language of blessing is because that actually solves a lot of those tensions that we feel, right? Should you use your words to bless people or should you use your deeds to bless people? I I think we all get that intuitively in the world, right? You should both say kind things to people and do kind things for people. You should both speak in ways that build people up and try to encourage and help them and you should do things that build people up and assist and care for them. Blessing is all-encompassing. And just a note, though, about that. While blessing is that sort of like doing those things for people, that doesn't necessarily mean that all I'm saying is that we only do things that people like. Because there are ways in which we do things that are truly blessing people, but that they sometimes struggle with. I mean, just even in my own life, some of the the best blessings to me have been times where people have challenged me or told me (laughs) that I needed to change what I was doing. So the test of being a blessing, I'm not just saying do and say what people want to hear. I'm saying do things that actually help and build people up. But also, I want to say if you're like, if you hear that and you're like, yeah, that's right. I mean, when I say be a blessing, I'm talking about something that costs us something. I think the flip side of that is that some people are so want to be kind of challenging and so confront, and that's the only kind of way they parse blessing. But they don't have any skin in the game. They don't really recognize that our calling is to Um, is to bless people by taking things that God gives to us and giving to them. And I don't just mean resources, although that's great, but like time and um, and energy and attention, that we're called to, to do that in a costly way. But in all of that, be blessed and then bless people in all kinds of ways. And then, and this is really key for this to become God's mission, to do all of that in the name of God. To do that for his name and for his glory. When I say that, I do not just mean simplistically saying, like, and Jesus made me do it. Although, maybe something like that wouldn't be the worst thing. But we need to consciously, intentionally link our actions in the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ that motivates them. Because if we don't make that link, other people will not see it. And so, the goal of our good works in Scripture is to give glory to God. In Matthew 5, for example... Jesus says, let your light shine before others 
so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so to do that, you need two things. You need to do good works. That's the blessing part. You need to obey God and serve your neighbor and be generous and take the time to help them and do all of that stuff, right? To, to walk humbly before God and love justice and be unstained by the world and all the different biblical things we're called to do. We need to do that stuff, and we need to do it while reflecting the glory for it back to God. And that's what I mean by doing it in the name of God. Because, again, like we said, if you live in that Christ-like good works way and you don't name for people why you're doing it, they're going to give glory to you instead, which is actually a sort of idolatry. So we need to intentionally say to people in different ways that I am doing this, I am this way, because God has made me this way. And to especially work, I don't mean like every single time, but, but to especially work at times to name specifically how that's true, right? Not just like, oh, God gets all the credit in a general way, but try to name how like, man, I have had this experience that God gave me that helps me to then seek to do this for other people. And I don't know if you ever thought about it, but that, what I just described, is really basically what, at root, evangelism, sharing the gospel is in scripture. It doesn't require you to stand up in, like, you know, the supermarket and start yelling at people about Jesus or something. Um, that evangelism at root is simply saying, here is how God has worked in my life, and I'm, and, and I'm working in the world. You're seeing how God has worked in my life. And I'm going to name for the fact that it's Jesus that gives me that hope and works that transformation in me. So that's the calling, to be a blessed blessing in the name of God. And I hope you see how that resolves those tensions. I already named it for word and deed, right? That we are both in our words and in our actions to be doing good for people and glorifying God. That also solves, you know, the evangelism and charity kind of tension. Because, of course, we're called to do both. But when we simply say we're supposed to spread God's blessing and make his name great in the world, then, of course, that involves doing both of those things. Even the religion and relationship tension, I think, gets addressed as we start to do that. Because the things aren't separate anymore. We're simply living as God's people and blessing people as God's people in a way that invite them into the people of God. And as we close in all of that, one last thought about all of that. What I just described, that being a blessed blessing in the name of God, that is a simple and practical calling in a lot of ways. But don't let that simplicity and practicality let you miss that as we do that, we're actually participating in that grand sweeping story that we talked about at the beginning. That that's actually how you and I step into that mission of God to save all kinds of people and draw them to himself. Remember um, the end of the story in, in Revelation 9, right? John looks and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne. Just imagine those people for a minute. One of the most beautiful things in my mind when I think about that moment is the ways that people are going to look around at each other in that vast multitude and recognize each other as the people that drew them there, right? That the what a blessing it would be for you to look around on the day and see, you know, that coworker or that neighbor or that friend, right? And, you know, and their tearful eyes as they gratefully recognize and thank you. And, and you're going to say, like, I didn't do that much, right? Like, you know, I, I was just doing something simple. But it's faithfulness in that simple kind of blessing people and giving the glory to God calling and sharing Jesus through that that is actually going to gather those people. Each of us is invited to have a small part but a real part in, in God's mission to gather those people together. 
Isn't that a job that's big enough? (laughs) Isn't that a mission that's worth living for, that makes our hearts excited when we think about joining it? Let's make that mission our goal in our lives. Pray with me. God and Father, I give you thanks, first of all, that in your mission of salvation, it extended even to here. Thousands of years in the future, thousands of miles away from where the story began and where you walked the earth in your son, Jesus Christ, Lord, that even here you have worked to call us out of darkness and into light. You have made yourself known to us that we have the blessing of taking refuge in you. I give you thanks for your work in us. And I just pray that you would impress on our hearts as we feel gratitude for that work in us, the reality that that work is not meant to end with us. You have blessed us that we might be a blessing. You've made yourself known to us so that we might make you known to others. I pray, Lord, that you would quicken and excite our hearts in that calling. That in the simple, practical, daily ways that you call us to live that out, that we might faithfully do it, so that we might see your name and your reputation and your glory spread around us in this nation where you have placed us. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.